0: Seekers, explorers, and renegades out there, welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lemke. When someone points out or describes a cognitive bias to us, it is easy for us to go, Ah, yes, I knew that. And we've already treated two of them in uh, loss aversion and narrow framing. Narrow framing we had last week. Cognitive biases are sneaky. They tend to hide in our subconscious and our in our blind spots, and they are. little bit difficult to realize unless someone points them out to you or you go on a quest to find them for yourself. So we're hoping in this episode to give you a little bit of an insight into what they are, give you some examples of uh, actual cognitive biases, and also to uh, give some suggestions as to how you can discover them within yourself. and more importantly, of course, how to deal with them once you've uh, discovered them. So take what you can from this discussion. And uh, first and foremost, enjoy. And as always, starting with a quote here from uh, Eric uh, Barker, barking up the wrong tree. Uh, Oh, the irony cognitive biases prevent us from understanding cognitive biases. Think about that one, huh? So the definition of cognitive biases is really that you're, you have unconscious errors in thinking that arise from problems related to memory or attention, uh, attribution or some other error. Uh, not to be confused with logical fallacy, which is related to error in logical uh, argumentation. So, uh, a logical fallacy would be if I say one plus one is three because you have two people and they can make a third person. Uh, If you're talking mathematically, that's that's not logical because one plus one is always two. Uh, That would be a logical fallacy, but um, depending on the perspective of it. Now, a, a cognitive bias is more that you have. Uh, ingrained within you, that if you you think something is right, you can't change your mind about it until you release that cognitive bias. Um, so in terms of cognitive bias, from my perspective, is it's not so much about error in thinking as much as it is Uh, a challenge of uh, to be self-aware and reflective. So, you know, uh, if we say that there is an error in our uh, thinking, that means something is wrong. And I don't like to think there's anything wrong with anybody. Uh, It's just that either we are ignorant to something or we are just not Reach that stage yet, you know, where we are self aware and we have that capability to reflect on our own experiences. So, I'm going to go through um, some of these different cognitive biases that we can uh, have. There's quite a lot of them. I'm just going to go through a bit of an extended list today, but uh, at least to get you to think about. The different concepts that are out there, and see what might apply to you. Um, and oftentimes, these apply to uh, apply to kind of the oh well, they they come up from uh, core wounding's and experiences that we've had. Uh, so, looking at the, some of these uh, cognitive biases that exist, for example, we have the actor-observer which is uh very common where you have uh your own experience uh so for example if i do something it is because of or something goes wrong for me uh, say for example i gain weight it is because i have a genetic deficiency or something like that but if someone else gains weight from my perspective they have uh failed as a person Uh, it's because of their weakness it's because of something else so i can't reflect on myself in somebody else Uh, you have the uh, anchoring bias uh, which is where you're really looking at the first information that comes up to make a judgment about something so you anchor yourself to the first piece of information that comes up. You, you don't do your due, due diligence. And you'll see when we go through these that a lot of them are entangled uh, with each other uh, so that there are challenges or there are uh, some that overlap, as it were. Um, we have the uh, attentional uh, bias, which is uh, where we pay attention to some facts. But we but we ignore others, and you you will probably notice that this is quite similar to a confirmation bias, uh, where we uh, we pay or we we favor information that we agree with. Um, so uh, we have the uh, availability heuristic bias, which is mind over intuition. So basically, we are we attach ourselves to the first thought that comes into our mind. So if we are faced with a challenge, uh, the first thought that comes into mind, that's the choice we make, as opposed to observing that thought and being like, hmm, is this really what I think? Is this really my, uh, uh, my opinion or my perception of the, the situation? Um, I, Confirmation bias, I already mentioned, where we favor information that uh, uh, confirm our existing beliefs, uh, which is probably one of the more famous ones now with uh, the internet and the algorithms in Google and Facebook and so forth, feeding up information to you that is matching uh, what you have already seen, uh, which has caused a lot of these challenges with uh um, the the polarization in uh in politics where people of certain politi- political views on either side are really only fed the information that match what they are interested in so they they constantly get fed this idea that well it's all over the internet it must be true right so it's that confirmation bias and it's it really reinforces the confirmation bias as well Uh, we have the uh, uh, false consensus effect and this is where we overestimate how much others agree with us right so um, i think a lot of times people that suffer from uh, narcissism or something like that will also have that kind of that bias within them uh, false consensus bias where you, you surround yourself with yes people right they may not agree with you, but they're afraid of you. So they're going to say yes. And they're going to agree with you because of that. So you are then fed the idea that uh, you are right and you you uh, you know, you can't do any, uh, you, you are not wrong because nobody's disagreeing with you. Uh, anybody outside of that circle who disagrees with you is then wrong because then that feeds into other biases in terms of the confirmation bias and so forth. Um, you have functional fixedness uh, bias, uh, or as I like to call it, the antithesis of the Mac- MacGyver bias. Um, and this is where you you have an idea or a fixedness in your mind that an object only have one use. So, for example, a paperclip in your mind can only be used for what its purpose is, which is to clip two or more paper, p- pages together. Now, if you alter this paperclip, you can use it to remove the SIM card or something like that. Uh, You know, good old MacGyver uh, esque uh, approach to it. Um, But a lot of people kind of have these blinders on and they move into a state of, nope, you know, this is a wrench. I cannot use it for anything else. And then Someone else, well, you can. Why don't you take that wrench and bang in the, the nail because you don't have a hammer? Uh, no, we can't do, do that, right? Um, we have the halo effect, which is the, uh, it's we. and this is uh, kind of in uh, for a lot of us, uh, we know as the uh, guru worship. Uh, so, for example, we know of these gurus over time that. Now come out, or it's come out that they've uh, committed sexual uh, harassment, uh, or they, uh, har- uh, yeah, they've uh, sexually harassed their uh, followings and so forth. Um, so people look at their uh, the person, so they use one aspect of the person to uh, kind of judge their entire character. So if there's a, they see them as holy and uh, the only source of uh, correct information, if they then have a flaw in their character as being a sexual addict, and then uh, assaulting, uh, assaulting people and so forth, you kind of ignore that. And that's uh, you know, the guru worship, and that's the halo effect that's called. Uh, when, then we have the uh, misinformation effect. And this is very common in uh, witness statements, and uh, it's been widely researched. Uh, For example, after uh, uh, the 9-11 terrorist attack in New York, uh, a lot of people recall things that didn't actually happen. And this is the way you bring in information you've learned after an event, and you bring that into the memory and it becomes part of the memory. Uh, so the misinformation effect is very common when you have a, a, a traumatic experience and it's oftentimes a, a defense mechanism uh, for the body to, or for the, your mental body to be able to uh, uh, deal with the, the, uh, uh, the event itself. Um, we have the optimism bias. And there's one, uh, there is a paradox, on I feel, uh, and uh, it's basically that you're, you're more likely to succeed than your pa- peers. So it's overly confident. And yes, I, I think it's good to be confident, but you don't need to compare yourself to your peers in that respect. You can, you can say we are all going to be equally successful or my success is independent of anybody else's. But there are those that feel that in order to justify themselves, they need to feel more uh, successful than their peers. Otherwise, they they, uh, have, quote unquote, failed. Uh, We have the uh, self-serving bias. And this is an interesting one. Um, So uh, I think this is very common indeed. And it's where we, whenever something good happens to us, it's because of us. And whenever something bad happens to us, it's because of our, uh, our circumstances, right? And it's a way for us to avoid being accountable uh, for our own choices and our own, uh, uh, how we direct our own life. Uh, and then we have the Dunning Kruger effect, and it's believing that we're smarter and capable than we actually are. Right now, this is another interesting one where I think, to certain to certain point, we have to be a little overconfident in order to move into uh, the next level or next step. We have to put ourselves in a uh, you know, Mihai Chiksan Mihai, when he in his book Flow, he talks about uh when we're in that flow state and it's when we are not quite capable of the task at hand but because of that we are then challenging ourselves to become capable of it right so i think often uh oftentimes it is beneficial to have that kind of ignorance, as it were, <laughs> as it were, uh, that, you know, I can do this. You know, when I started this podcast, I was like, oh, well, I can't do that. You know, but then I, I was like, I, I had to break through that and say, well, no, of course I can do that. Not knowing whether I could or couldn't. Now, we we're almost a year later. And yes, we, uh, I was able to kind of pull it off, as it were. Uh, but you don't know that until you actually try it. So uh, whether you are uh, suffering under the uh, Dunning-Kruger effect or not, that uh, remains to be seen once you can prove whether you can't, can or can't do it. Um, now, previously we've talked about uh, another two, which is uh, loss aversion, where we are ad- adverse to um, change because we're afraid we're going to lose the, uh, the perceived Uh, situation we're in even if it's a crappy situation we're in so we refuse to move into the unknown because it's it's more comfortable to be in in the what we know even though that is uh, potentially even if you can see the benefits of moving into the unknown or the potential benefits of it you choose to stay in what you know because that is more uh, safe uh, perceived as safer for you Uh, and of course we talked. a couple of weeks uh, was last week we talked about uh, narrow framing, um, where you'll only look at the problem uh, from one aspect of the uh, the whole situation and judge the whole situation based on that uh, problem. Um, so anybody have any uh, thoughts or any uh, reflections as to how it applies to uh, your own situations? Um, I can certainly uh, see. In my past or in, uh, previously in my life, where I have uh, uh, blamed uh, problems uh, in my own life on the external, and then when I've done something good, it's of course it's all me, right? Um, so yeah, no I, I I've definitely suffered under a bunch of these. <laughs> um,
1: Well, I could see myself in some of these when you were listing them and in those definitions. And a thought came to my mind that um, now I think it's as important like more than ever to be able to see our cognitive biases and our rigid thinking, especially with this epidemiologic situation, because people are really like uh, polarized and in two corners and they are not willing to see the other point of view and it's causing a lot and a, a lot of hate mm-hmm. so if everybody and there are some people who say okay vaccinated not you're still afraid is your choice there is a big group but if this group was even bigger it would be much much better so there is a lot of these biases in the communication out, like at the moment.
0: (laughs) Well, I think it's oftentimes it becomes a defense mechanism because you are defending the identity or your identity, depending on uh, what societal, parental or or religious background you have. So if you come from a very homogenous background, where everybody thinks in one way it's it becomes part of your defense mechanism to be rigid in your mind in that thinking because if you think differently then you are automatically excluding yourself from that tribe and yeah. from the safety of that society right so if you do that then you are essentially throwing yourself out on the streets as it well. war and then if you go, on, uh, if you're excluded from the tribe, clearly then you are going to have uh, your life is going to be in danger. Uh, you are at risk of starving or being, you know, um, being a, a victim of violence or whatever, and you might die. Right. So the that is the, the kind of how the fear uh, thinks, as it were. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a def- defense mechanism because that's That's how we we work and that's how we need to, that's how we've been able to survive as uh, humanity. But of course, today, with the technology we have, we can move into a lot of different uh, tribes and we can experience uh, a multitude of uh, cultures, uh, religions and so forth, uh, so that we we open up our eyes to the different possibilities, right? So. Yeah,
1: go ahead. I was about to say that it makes a lot of sense that in the like th- hundreds of thousands of years ago, it mm-hmm. was very important that the whole tribe was on the same page. Yeah. But now the times are different and we are thinking differently and probably even uh, the whole perception and the consciousness is rising. So i th- that's what I was about to say that I think now, it is safe, same thing as you said, to mm-hmm. think differently. And, uh, as I was listening to you and, uh, thinking like, which one of those applied to me, I realized that like, that not having the cognitive bias is incredibly liberating mm. because it, in a way it does keep you safe, but it makes your life much, um, Less co- colorful, or mm-hmm. you really, if you, if you, when you are like stuck in the situation and rigid, um, it just takes away so many opportunities from your life. Like, I even came to a little epiphany, uh, a week ago. <laughs> I don't know if I can share.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Well, it's entirely up to you, Suzanne.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, well, I ran into a friend from past. And I remember that I had, I had like this really fixed idea of who he is and how this person perceives me, and um, that completely uh, cha- and without let's say something happened, I forgave that person, and I thought I forgave that person because like we like regularly tend to think that if the first anger is gone within a day we forgave but that's just really the very outmost layer of the fear Uh, I mean of the anger but the hurt and everything stayed inside and that like that um, really really uh, influenced my behavior like I stayed distant and I never ever perceived that person in a different like in a better way and uh, then it created like a whole other interactions were under this influence and uh now when we met i actually realized like wow all these years of just talking on the internet this is a completely different person and i just saw how with my perception i was just protecting myself but actually that person is most probably somebody else like if you can just like open your mind and expand it and see maybe i am not 100% right 100% of the time about this I in turn was actually hurting the person because I was thinking that this person is just evil. <laughs> and this other person could have been thinking I am evil because he's just trying to be nice. Mm-hmm. So this was very nice to see that now when, uh, see, that I'm just able uh, at the moment to perceive people differently, not just go with the first thought and stay stuck to it no matter what.
0: That's beautiful, well done. Yeah, no, and it is uh, really what you're describing there, I feel, is uh, in, in alignment with the four agreements where, you know, don't assume anything about anybody else, don't take anything personally, and uh, the, uh, use your words impeccably, and all you can do is your best, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you kind of went through all of those four uh, in the, the whole statement you made now. Well done. Excellent, so yeah, so the the bias or cognitive biases are, are it is exactly what it, it sounds like. It's something that we we develop over time. so it could be, as we discussed, it could be because of your upbringing, it could be because of the community you grew up in, religious society, uh, all of those influences, but it could also be experiences, uh, like we talked about before. it could be. The uh, experiences, uh, you know, traumatic experiences that you've experienced, or it could be from a perspective of an adult, very benign experiences, but for a five-year-old child, very traumatic, right? And we develop so it's a lot. Lot of times it is in line with. Um, from the from the experiential uh, perspective, aligned with the uh, core wounding or the original sensitizing event. Um, so if we look at, uh, you know, uh, self-serving bias, uh, for example, where, you know, only good, uh, good things always come from you and bad things are always based on the external, right? And that's a defense mechanism we can develop because of uh, experiences we've had as a child. Now, as an adult, those experiences may be very benign and we might look back and say, well, no, that's really nothing. I mean, like, why would I even worry about that? But when you go back to uh, the experience and look at it from a perspective of the child version of yourself, you will actually start seeing that it had a uh, tremendous impact on yourself. So a lot of times in hyp- hypnotherapy, for example, when we do regression work, um, people come out and they are gobsmacked by the ex- what they come, uh, what the experience they go back to as the original sensitizing event, and they're like, "I would never have guessed that that would have had an impact on me uh, in uh, in my adult life." But the fact of the matter is, as when you had that experience as a five year old, you you are a completely different person than you are as a 35, 40, 50 year old, right? Um, so it's also learning to see ourselves from the perspective of that person we were when we had that experience. Now, that could have been uh, perhaps you had a, a you were the victim of a violent episode uh, later in life right then it's a little more obvious i would say then you probably go into that experience you can look at that experience okay well yes that that is something that was traumatic um, and a lot of times uh, victims one of the things they forget to do uh, which hold them back or hold them still in the victim Space of their experience is that they forget uh, to forgive themselves, right? So this is, and that that's another one of those things that you go back and and you look at the experience and you say, "Have, "Have you forgot forgiven yourself?" And they go, "Well, why why would I do that?" And then they go, they explore that, and it's like, "Oh my God, yes, that's." And when they do that, they can move through that. That's when they have the epiphany of releasing it and uh, do, get going through the forgiveness, the whole process of forgiveness that you were talking about, Susanna. Um, so it's, so we have the, uh, the uh, influences from the outside. We have the uh, experiences, the internal experiences, how we experience things. And then, of course, uh, we have conditions uh, such as ADHD or autism. Uh, cognitive conditions uh, that you know create mind rigidness and so forth Uh, for example autism uh, autistic uh, people will oftentimes have very rigid uh, ideas about uh, certain things and it doesn't matter how much you try to convince them on something they are uh, they they become very stuck in their uh, thinking and that's a cognitive bias, so it's a cognitive condition, but become, you can you can identify it based on these cognitive biases. So that's those are some of the origins.
2: Not necessarily on that point, but I was just thinking when we were going, through, when you started going through that list to start with, it yep. was very easy to highlight in other people. And as the conversation has now gone on um, to see uh, myself In in some of these things, and also my reactions as well. You know how before I actually go into a conversation with someone, I already have this 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 bias towards them, or I know, or I think. Hang on, the last conversation I had with this person, I left upset. And even though I've gone through the process, okay, I forgave them. Why am I upset? Okay, I'm not upset. But in fact, it actually still held somewhere in my body Mm -hmm. that when I pick up that phone or have that conversation, that that new conversation with that person, there's that sort of already that underlying emotion, that underlying uh, event from before. Um, and then also just then also over time, the, and through the conversation we have just had, it actually became a, a lot, started thinking through past situations or where I'm at now. And it's actually quite uh, interesting that you sort of ebb and flow through this as well, that, uh, you know, it's not set as one way or another. Um you know I was just a long term friend of mine, and I've been friends with him since school and I've always thought we've got a great friendship but and then there was something popped up and, and it was the uh was it uh self was it uh, uh where he's always right Probably, uh, and, and then yeah. he walks away when, when when somebody else has a valid point or walks away and I just realized that it's actually been part of our friendship for almost 20 odd years yep. and I've never been able to fin- put a finger on to actually how our friendship has been but it actually has been that way and I sort of have gone through and accepted that the way the friendship is but it's actually not the way it necessarily should be um so it's it's nice to sort of put a, a, a phrase or a term to it you know um <laughs> so,
0: yeah oh well, that's fantastic Cam. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, oftentimes when we when we evolve ourselves and we start to reflect and look at ourselves we also do that with the uh, the people around us um i mean sure i i have a lot of friends (laughs) from the past where you know you accept certain things about them because they are part of uh, your community as it were Um, but as you start to accept that or start to realize that you know what i i I, it's my personal the character i am is more important to me than to be part of a community where that kind of behavior is allowed that's when you start saying well you start having you're setting up your boundaries you start establishing your boundaries that no that's not okay and uh, you communicate that if that's not if that falls on deaf ears you say okay fine and uh, this is not for me, and knowing that that's okay, and that's once you start reflecting on these, reflecting on these uh, cognitive biases that we all have at some point, we can then also start reflecting on that within others, and look at uh, as we start to release them, uh, we then also build up our confidence. And our, you know, we break down these defense mechanisms and we we say it's okay. You know, if if I go out there and I am alone for a period of time, that's fine. Because I know that, you know, I can trust that, you know, whatever I become, I will attract the the support and people around me that will match the way I am, Mm
1: right? I think I think there is something really magical about dropping these cognitive biases, mm-hmm. because really, if you have something, let's say um, that's always in your um, that, that's in fact keeping you safe, some belief, but it's always. Um, Influencing your behavior, whether it's with one person or whether it's uh, like linked to a situation and no matter who you interact with, uh, this is what you see in the situation, let's say somebody thinks that uh, everybody wants to hurt him. Uh, In a way, it keeps us safe but on the other hand, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very uh, magical when you notice this about yourself because this, is not, this doesn't have to be part of you. This doesn't have to be part of your life. And most probably isn't uh, your authentic you. I don't think cognitive biases can ever be part of our authentic truth. There are just like traumas that have uh, manifested in our life and i wanted to also say that if somebody believes that uh the others are wrong when something is bad something bad is going on and uh always blames it on others in a way it keeps yeah he can validate this person can validate himself or herself that wow i'm awesome i'm still pretty i'm still successful this is not my fault but on the other hand they are taking their, they're throwing their power away. They, they will, mm, well, if they see, okay, this could not be only the others. This could be also my fault. It's very important to have compassion with you because you, it it might be very, very um, like your, the world can like fall apart. It, it's important to have compassion, but when you see, okay, something bad is going on, how can I improve the situation if you acknowledge that you can be part of the problem you can completely change the situation and if you only see it in the others then very often people go to gossiping to intrigues to try to uh, make the bad person worse and them even better because it's definitely not by fault that something is going something bad is going on in my life
0: Absolutely so it really
1: gives us power back also
0: Absolutely. And it, it, there is a lot of power in choice. And, you know, I always describe choice as, uh, uh, as our first super superpower. Um, and uh, but with choice also comes accountability And we have to when we realize that we have choice, then we also realize that we have to be accountable for the choices we've made. Um, and, you know, a uh, cognitive bias is a choice. Because we've chosen to take on these um, defense mechanisms, they they weren't they weren't there originally, as you say. Um, if we look at uh, you know as Carl Rogers talks about the uh, uh, organismic self, where we when we are born, we're not born well. Most of us anyway aren't born with uh, cognitive biases. They are learned behavior, uh, and they are not they don't become part of our subconscious or our pattern of behavior uh, just like that. It's something that we've thought about as part of an experience or as part of our uh, influences from others, and then we've decided to bring it on as a pattern. Um, and when we do repeat a Habit over and over and over again and, and allow it to become a pattern, it goes into the subconscious as a pattern. Uh, so, you know, in psychotherapy, often we talk about pattern interrupt. So, look at patterns in your life, uh, for example, brushing your teeth. Do you ever think about how you brush your teeth? No, you just do it. And you probably start the same way every time. You have your you know, whether you uh, put water on your toothbrush before you put the toothpaste on or after, or, you know, where you start brushing in your mouth, What uh, same thing, when you get dressed, you probably do the same thing over and over again. And this is part of the process of simplifying things for your brain. So you don't have to think about it. You know, same thing when you're washing up and you're, you're washing a plate. You will wash it the same way every time, because it simplifies things, and it allows things to allows your brain to be observant of other things at the same time, and that is what these cognitive biases do. They simplify it for you. So, you know, if you grow up in a society where everybody thinks in this way, you make that an automated function within you to think that way, because then you don't have to think about it but you know when you quote unquote wake up to it you go how the heck had i've been thinking that like this for my entire life and you go well of course because everybody else thinks that way well they're wrong i don't like that anymore i don't agree with that that's not part of my my truth anymore then that you know you have also once you discover these uh, cognitive biases, or you know, you discover change within yourself. You go through that grieving process as well, right? Because something within you dies. That cognitive bias, the part of your uh, yourself, your identity dies, right? Because now you're becoming something else, and you are moving into a different aspect of yourself. Um, so just allow yourself to as you're moving through that change, allow yourself to recognize those experiences within yourself. Uh, because otherwise, as you say, there, there can be a lot of anger uh, associated with it. Um, as you start to realize these things, you get angry with the society around you or your parents. Like, how the hell could they do that? Or you know, why would the whole society think like this? Um, or if you ever had experiences, then you can get angry at the perpetrator, perceived perpetrator of it, um, or, uh, you know, you, something that you've kind of brought on yourself, as it were, you get angry with yourself, with the choices that you've made in terms of bringing this uh, type of pattern uh, onto yourself, because it's now caused you to, you start to make choices from the pattern. That's the point. And uh, you then bring it, bring those patterns into every experience that you have. um, And that then uh, becomes uh, part of your resistance. It becomes part of uh, what the challenges in your life, as it were. So just be mindful of the grieving process that you go through once you realize, uh, because, you know, hopefully there are some some people now listening to uh, this podcast, uh, pondering on their own uh, <laughs> cognitive biases and uh, uh, reflecting on them, and uh, which is really awesome. So, how can you detect these? And uh, we've talked about it quite a lot of this, but uh, looking at uh, triggers, for example, I always say, don't waste a good trigger and so look at how. How are you being triggered by people in your surroundings? And what's the thought process? So you have the emotion coming up, you observe the emotion coming up. What's the thought process that is then triggered by the emotion? And you can see, does it trigger judgment? Does it trigger you to think, oh, they're being such an idiot, you know, Driving, driving is a perfect example where, <laughs> you know, you're driving and someone's driving too slow. And the first thought that comes into your head is like, oh, what what an idiot. Did he get, get his uh, driver's license in the Cornflakes packets, right? Um, and first of all, you know, the car might be having uh, problems, right? Or it might be that it's an old person who's being careful. It, you know, the, myriad of different reasons why. Uh, So, you know, let's not judge um, and assume that we know what's going on for the other person, but it's what's the thought process that comes to you when you're being triggered and look at, okay, well, am I externalizing, am I projecting something here that is actually part of my own experience? Because if you are triggered, it is because you hold an aspect of what's triggering you within yourself. Otherwise you wouldn't be triggered. There would be nothing to resonate with the experience. So perhaps there's a level of impatience. So why am I being impatient? You what, what is the, what aspects of myself is being impatient? Uh, or, you know, uh, do I think myself as an idiot because I'm now ref- reflecting on this other person, uh, I perceive this other person as being an idiot because I say, oh, what an idiot, right? Now, how does that, what aspect of myself am I thinking as an idiot? Is that, right. the, is that the perception I have of myself? Go ahead, Susanna.
1: Or with driving, you can just think that you are not good enough. You're not doing it uh, perfectly enough. Yeah, so yeah. you get angry on the other person, like, oh, my goodness, why are they so slow? It's already green light for two seconds or something. So it could be that you don't think you're good enough.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Or, or it's uh, It's a manifestation of an, a different aspect of my life. Or it might be... Uh, Perhaps that, you know, I'm taking risks. Why am I taking risks? You know, if I take a risk in traffic and someone else is behaving in a way that I don't expect, then I'm externalizing the problem, right? And then they, in my mind, they I they put me at risk because they're acting in the way I don't expect them to. But, they were, exp- they were acting exactly as they should because they're acting as they should and I should be aware of that, right? But, you know, with, with this judgment and so that we can see the thoughts coming up, you know, and we can then reflect on, all right, well, where, what experience have I had in my life that then causes me to have these thoughts and these emotions? Because it is, you know, all of these, those kind of negative uh, energy or emotions or feelings, they come up because we have an experience that is reflective of the experience we're having. It, It corresponds to an earlier experience. And then we have this same emotion or the same reaction come up again. It's a muscle or emotional memory. Right. So that's when we say, you know, don't waste a good trigger, because the trigger will lead you to the original event, if you observe it and you allow it to bring you back there. And you can then start working with that uh, original sensitizing event or the core, core wounding as it were. Um, We talked about judgment. So if you find yourself judging, then Yeah, then there are cognitive biases because you are, again, you're externalizing an aspect of yourself and you do that in order to protect yourself and weakness. So if you have what you perceive as a weakness within yourself, you externalize that when you're judging others. So if you run around uh, judging people for the way they look, You know oh look at that person it looks like that or that person looks like that then perhaps you have a problem with the way you look because you might not be entirely comfortable with how you look you may not have come to you know uh, come to terms with being okay in your own skin as it were so it's that judgment so we externalize our own what we're not okay with ourselves
1: right or it could be it could be the cognitive bias that you are better than the others that you were listing and absolutely. you need to prove yourself oh i'm better
0: absolutely but what what uh, what is the experience you've had that may get that creates the need to be better than anybody else
1: that's a very good thing for that person to think about exactly. or like meditate about. But yeah, usually it's from the early childhood, so mm-hmm. maybe something from parents or something.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> and it it might be that you know your parents created competition between your siblings, right? So you've always had to prove yourself in order to get that recognition from the uh, from your parents so that then becomes part of your pattern like oh i need to prove myself and then that becomes part of your judgment because you're now in order to be safe you have to be better than everybody else so therefore you are externalizing that in terms of judging others saying well everybody else suck and i don't and that's how i'm going to survive then, so again, that kind of leads us into perception. How do you uh, looking at how we perceive others, how we perceive experiences, how we perceive uh, the the situations that we find ourselves in. You know, are we being compassionate, or are we being judging? Are we, you know, are we finding the uh, the learning opportunities in in our experiences, or are we looking for the uh, worst case scenario? Are we looking for how we are being victimized? Right. So, what's our perception of our experiences, and what's our perception of the environment around us? Um, and I don't know why I wrote down judgment twice here, but apparently it's very important. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and also fear uh, and I all often talk about this as well, you know all negative experiences or emotions come out of fear, so when you're triggered there's always an element of fear because the trigger is there to protect you. It's a defense mechanism, and so there's always that underlying fear, so you have the The trigger that then creates the, uh, that um, doesn't generate, but evokes the fear that then creates this uh, stress response. So the trigger, oftentimes I say, when you're triggered, first question you ask is, what fear is associated with this trigger? Is it fear of abandonment? Is it fear of uh, not being good enough? Is it fear? More fear is associated with this trigger? And then you can say, "Okay, when when did I experience that fear the first time? Might not get an answer immediately, but if you do, it could be a memory flash of you spilling a glass of milk as a five-year-old and being told off. Now that then links the original sensitizing event to the fear, and then you can work on that if you allow yourself, right? So fear is uh, is a foundational uh, aspect to uh, triggers and to uh, the, the defense mechanisms that we experience. Now, obviously, it's good to know how we, we can best work through these uh, different situations once we've identified uh, uh, the different uh, cognitive biases that we have. And it will come as no surprise to anyone that uh, my first suggestion is going to be observe your experiences, right? And I always talk about this. Find a way to learn how to observe yourself from your awareness. So when when we are operating from our cognitive biases, we are in our head. And we're operating from our core wounding so um or from our programming or conditioning or uh, you know uh, the the patterns that we developed so if i'm triggered i will operate from that trigger or from that uh, original sensitizing event so i will then express an anger i will express uh, you know, from that perspective, as opposed to observing myself, having that experience and not judging myself for having that experience. So I might be feeling anger coming up. So I observe that and just ask myself, oh, interesting. I have anger coming up. I wonder where that comes from. I'm not judging a good or bad. It's just an experience. It's just an emotion. It might be sadness coming up or just fear of some sort. And I've talked about this before as well that most people, you know, have recognized three emotions it's sadness, happiness, and pissed off. So our emotional intelligence as modern humans is quite stunted because we are told as children, oh, you know, grow up, or boys don't cry, or don't be so sensitive, right? So we're to- we're always told that emotions are bad and dangerous, and we should avoid that. And if we show emotion, or if we experience emotions, then we're we're hard to love, right? So what we we want to do is experience the emotion, but not act out in it. Uh, in a destructive way. So it's allowing ourselves to have the experience, but control what we can control, which are your thoughts, words, and actions. So instead of having the thought of uh, coming up that, well, it's not me, it's everybody else, when that anger comes up, perhaps we'll look at the anger and we we'll look at the thoughts and go, Well, actually, what is my part in this? And you can very simple technique there is to say, what is the one commonality in all my experiences? That's me. So what's my what's my role in my shitstorm? And What can I do about it?
2: Yeah, so going, so going back to that experience like I said with, with my friend of 20 years, would that be saying, okay, maybe in my, in my friendship role with him I play the victim, so therefore I allow to exist as the victim within that relationship and and take on that role um, instead of saying, hang on, we are on an equal playing foot, that I am I an am equal to you, um, we're same age, same, you know, same education, same, you know, um, same interests, well, so really we are... It's not uh, it's not seen there going, OK, I play the victim role in this friendship, because I know I don't play a victim in other friendships, but it would with with that one, I seem to.
0: Yeah, there is a um, in psychotherapy, there's a, a theory called parts theory, theory, uh, where you. Essentially, anyone showing up in any relationship, if there's dysfunction in the relationship, you will have the parent and child relationship or the superiors uh, and the subordinate relationship. Uh, If you have a, a congruent or a good relationship, you are on the same level, right? So, yeah, that is absolutely something you can reflect on and say, well, have I just... Uh, been the subordinate in this relationship because, from my old paradigm, my old perspective, I, I, I looked at this relationship as important for my own safety. Now you don't necessarily need to scrap the relationship, but if you step up and you say, "No, this is how I feel. This is how I want to be." Then that other person is, if they're not aware, they're clearly going to say, "Well, I don't recognize this dude anymore. What the hell No, i'm i'm out, I'm out of here, right?" But if they're aware, they're going to say, "Huh, interesting. I wonder why he's now responding this way to me. I better uh, communicate here. him. mean he my come to you, Cam, and say, huh, I th- have I been an asshole this whole time to you?" And then you can be well yes this is how i felt and you know you can then start to have a relationship based on an entirely new uh, set of uh, uh, benchmarks right yeah yeah sense of dialogue i guess absolutely and it's <clears throat> but in order for the relation so if you have some you have a relationship of two people that are both quote-unquote to sleep if one of them wakes up and starts reflecting on themselves and becoming self-aware and starts acting out from their developing authenticity, and the other person isn't, then that relationship is then going to change and it's it's going to be dysfunctional to the point where it's not going to work anymore. Unless it could be that the other person are in a victim. Situation. Uh, perhaps you are the sup, uh, sup, uh, superior, and they're the subordinate in the old relationship. Now you're becoming aware. They then kind of continue in that role, but then you might say, "Well, listen, this is not working out. Uh, we 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 got to have an equal playing field here. Otherwise, it's not working out, right?" So that then becomes the the courageous responsibility of of the individual to say yes or no this is not working or let's let's see how we can make this work right yeah. so there, there's you know just because you become self-aware and <laughs> uh, start reflecting on yourself doesn't mean that you have to dump everybody uh, that yeah. is absolutely not what we're saying here um, but yeah it's so observe your experiences become self-aware and start reflecting on your experiences. Um, you know and ex- reflect on your um, how you respond to uh respond to those experiences. Are you responding from your authentic self or are you responding from from the emotion or the uh the the cognitive bias or the original sensitizing event um, you know Uh, Also, go out and experience something different. So if you are doing something, you're stuck in a kind of a rut and you discover that, well, then go and experience something different. Because if if you're constantly being fed confirmation bias, and that is your go to that you know, and that happens in all sorts of communities you know if you're in in the uh, on a spiritual path or an awakening path, then you will look to at the information why you know pharmaceutical companies are evil, and there is nothing else they are all evil, nothing else <laughs> right and that's a confirmation bias in itself now being able to look at experiences or uh, situations from all different levels or different uh, uh, angles you know take a bird's eye view look at the other side what's the what's going to be the uh, outcome or possible outcomes of this experience that then allows you to look at more the situation more compassionately and looking at the people involved from a more compassionate point of view and start you know and that in that way, also subrind yourself with a different mix of people. You know, different races, different religions, different backgrounds, and then you can open up, open your eyes to something that is different from your own, and that then creates a new pattern of thinking to say, you know what, it's fantastic. You know, diversity is fantastic, as opposed to. No, I just need to stay with my own people, because that's safe. And, you know, oftentimes, uh, people that have experienced uh, emotional trauma, uh, you know, they, they have a hard time opening up their hearts and opening up to other people and so forth. But the fact is that if you if you open your heart to a lot of different people, yeah, there are going to be assholes out there. There are going to be people that are going to take advantage. They are. The, but if you hold your boundaries and you're aware of your boundaries, then you'll notice that and you can just say, OK, bye bye. Right. So it is safe to be out experiencing new things out in the unknown don't have to be stuck in the same rut as it were. Go ahead, Susana.
1: I just wanted to say that it's one of the very beautiful uh, aspects of traveling that when you travel, you actually uh, learn. If you want to like see the cognitive bias, you have to be open-minded towards yourself. If you wanna break some of them, uh, you have to be open-minded towards others that also it's not they are not always wrong when yeah so traveling is very good for that just seeing a different culture and acknowledging that people can be doing things differently
2: yeah
1: uh and it really really helps not to be judgmental for Mm -hmm. example i come from a country that used to be quite secluded uh during the communistic era from the rest of the world and i think it's still more prevalent here than let's say in western Germany Mm -hmm. uh, that people should be certain way and when you can travel you don't judge others and you just take this to your perception of, not only of other countries but other people yeah she wants to wear this fine she can or like this person eats meat doesn't eat meat doesn't mean we have to hate them so be, traveling helps you with being open minded and that is very helpful in this if you if you want to face the cognitive biases and break them
0: absolutely i totally agree and uh granted now now it's uh challenging for a lot of people to travel uh but you like we are doing here we can you can join different forums different uh groups and so forth and communicate with others and you know i have them explain to you or share how they experience things in their cultures right um so that you you can go traveling uh, virtually as it were, uh, and you can actually, you know, a lot of times uh, when I travel, one of the things I do love is enjoying the culture where I go. Um, so get away from the tourism and go and actually experience the uh, the culture. right? And that you can, uh, to a smaller a smaller extent, I suppose, but you, you can experience that if you go out and engage with people uh, online as well, um, if you can't travel. Um, Because that then opens. Also, if you uh, you know if you open yourself to the uh, the the different cultures, to different people, you also start to open up yourself to different opportunities. You open up your energy to uh, different opportunities, um, which then allows you to experience more, more things that are in alignment with what you want to experience. So uh, next week, for example, we are going to uh, talk with uh, Mark Baldizar, um, who's an expert on, uh, uh, well, uh, well, most people know as law of attraction, uh, but he has a, a different uh, take on it, it's law of transformation. Um, and yeah, it, it is that opening up and expanding your horizon, expanding your energy, then, Gives opportunity for more opportunities to come in, and to for you to see more opportunities. Because when we are uh, laboring under cognitive biases, we are also narrowing in or narrowing our uh, field of vision, as it were, or field of um, the experiential field. So the once we start to loosen up and or leave some of these biases behind, we expand our uh, experiences. We expand ourselves into a new uh, existence. And that then allows for more uh, more positive experiences to come your way. Because now you're looking at things from all different perspectives. You are allowing to people that you may not have allowed into your sphere before, you're allowing them in that then can create uh, fantastic opportunities and fantastic experiences into your world, right? And um, the final point here on how to start working on these uh, challenges is question everything. Question your motives. So why am I doing this? Is this because I've always done this way? Or is it because this is the best way? What other ways are there of doing this? And, you know, we oftentimes, you know, when we become adults, and I've uh, had this a lot of times with my clients, uh, you know, is the, there is this sense that, you know, this is what I'm doing and I have to do this. Right. So ask yourself the question. This is really what I have to do. Who's saying that I have to do this? Right. So, oftentimes we spend a lot of time investing in uh, education, investing in our careers, and so forth. And then we feel stuck in them because that's we, we feel that that's the only thing we can do, not realizing that we can take our experiences into something completely different. You know, I've changed careers more time than, you know, (laughs) uh, not that I have changed my underwear. (laughs) I've changed my career so many times I I can't even tell you. Um, And, you know, so I've now gone from being a predominantly a business person into being uh, more of a coach and uh, hypnotherapist and all those things. Right. So and I'm closing in on 50 does that, you know, does my age preclude me from changing, you know, changing my uh, uh, career? So I asked myself that and the answer I came up was, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Of course, I can change my career. So a lot of people, say, uh, you know, would tell me that, oh, well, you're 50, you can't go and get a job now. Nobody's going to hire you. Well, I don't care. Nobody needs to hire me. <laughs> you know, if they like me, they'll hire me. If, but you know, I I can work on my own, that's fine. So it's we we society creates all of these uh, rules and uh, notional rules and boundaries that we then have to keep ourselves within but question it. Question motives. Why am I doing this? Why am I holding myself to this? If I'm miserable, why don't I change? What's holding me back? So question everything.
1: Well, I just wanted to tell you that you did a very good job tackling your cognitive biases while changing your career, because from own experience, it takes a lot of courage.
0: Thank you, Susanna. I appreciate the uh, the, the encouragement. <laughs> yeah, no one knew. It does take it does take courage. It does, and uh, you know, taking that critical self-view and reflect on your own uh, your own self, where you're going to see that shadow aspect of yourself, and say that's okay, and accept that part of yourself. It's not for the faint of heart, but a lot of most of us wake up to that at some point in our lives, and so we go, Yeah, I suppose this is part of me, and I suppose I better recognize this. I can't deny that anymore. So uh, let's go, <laughs> let's get going. All right. So, well, thank you for coming, and thank you for bringing your beautiful energies, as always, and uh, your, your brilliant minds and your wisdom. Appreciate it. Have a great day, everybody. This list of uh cognitive biases that I read out during the uh, discussion certainly uh, no exhaustive list and by no means uh, complete in any way so I would suggest go out on the internet and search up uh, lists of cognitive biases uh, I found list myself that myself that has over 50 different uh, biases that you can uh, delve into further in my opinion one of the most important aspects with these labelings and descriptions is that it gives us an opportunity to allow, reflect on our own experiences and reflect on that externally to then come back to ourselves and say, Is this something that resonates with me? And if that does resonate on any individual uh, labeling or description, then we are able to go back and say, Okay, this is something I want to do something about, and how do I go about doing that? And then we Can start that process of uh, exploration and finding out how we can work with that within ourselves, helping you reflect on your own experiences and for having someone help you look in your into your blind spots and help revealing aspects of yourself that may not have been known to you. Those are some of the things we do here at the Alchemy Experience. So uh, if you if are interested in uh, looking into this further as it applies to you, please then visit uh, thealchemyexperience.co.uk Click on the 30 minute uh, free consultation button uh, to book your time to have a chat with us and to see if we might be the place for you to take these next steps on your journey. New episodes of the Alchemy Experience podcast are released every Friday at 11.11 uh, British time. So look forward to having you join us next week for the next episode. In the meantime, take care and enjoy.